News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR on News Talk. Now, the number of GP training places is to increase by 35% next year and there's going to be a large expansion in the non-EU GP training programme over the coming years. That's the announcement from the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, who joins us now. Hey, Minister, I think we all know about GP staff shortages. Is this going to finally make a difference? Good morning, Shane. This is going to make a big difference and I want to, I want to really thank the Irish College of General Practitioners We've been working very closely with them now to bring both of these things about. Your listeners will know that in too many parts of the country, it has become difficult to get a GP on the same day. And that's something that we have to see. GPs are becoming more and more central to our health service as we shift the focus out of hospitals back into the community. But to do that, we need a lot more GPs. And there's three things really we're doing. The the first is that we're having a big, big increase in the number of GPs in training. That'll have gone up from about 120 um, in 2009. Next year, we'll be up to 350. So to give your listeners a sense of what that'll mean is today, there's about 930 GPs in training around the country. It's a four-year program. And with this new increase, in the next few years, we'll go from 930 GPs in training to 1,300. So we're going to have hundreds more GPs um, becoming available and, and fully qualifying as GPs every year. It's going to make a big difference. The next thing then is the ICGP is working with non-EU GPs, including uh, from South Africa. So this year, we'll have 100 GPs coming in on that scheme. And really importantly, Shane, next year, the ICGP is adding 250. So that's 350 more GPs who are coming in from countries uh, like South Africa. And then as you and I have discussed before, obviously, I'm looking for a doubling of healthcare college places, and that includes, obviously, uh, medical places for students in the UK, the EU, uh, and the EEA. Okay, because, I mean, we all know that the the stats, you know, one in seven GPs over 65 likely to retire in the next few years. Parts of rural Ireland where in the old days there would have always been a GP, but younger GPs do not want to, you know, that kind of 24-7 type service that is on offer are you saying that you're confident that, you know, over? I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, but over, say, the next five to ten years, that those shortfalls will be addressed? Yes. If you think about it, we'll have gone from qualifying 120 GPs a year to 350 GPs a year. So we go from, you know, 930 in training today to 1,300. So, you know, several hundred more GPs becoming available every year versus 2009. And then behind that, we have the international GP program. And then in the longer term, again, I want to see a doubling of college places, uh, medical college places and other other college places. And really, this is part of a, a massive expansion of our healthcare service, both the HSC part of it, but also the private part, uh, pharmacy and general practice. Because as GPs will tell you now, they're, they are being provided with, they're being supported in ways that haven't happened before, that they've, they've rightly been calling on for years. So we now have for the first time, GPs have direct access to diagnostics for their patients. They have direct access to specialist teams for older people, for respiratory diseases, for uh, for heart diseases, and um, for diabetes. Diabetes and, and they really are becoming more and more central to a community-led healthcare service. Okay, um, it, it does seem like uh, it, it is an ambitious uh, programme. Can I also uh, ask you uh, about an, 
ambitious proposal from the HSE CEO uh, Bernard Gloucester to launch a seven day service uh, at Irish hospitals. I, I'm just curious, I think this is the first weekend where he's asked for staff to volunteer uh, to, to work over the weekend. Do you know, do we have a figure how many have offered to volunteer this weekend? I don't have that, but I, I know when I intervened in January after the, the January bank holiday where things got very bad uh, and called a meeting at the HSC and said, we need we need all hands on deck. Our healthcare workers responded immediately uh, and I have no doubt that they'll do so, do so again. This is something, Shane, that uh, we've been working with the HSC on now. We've been building up to for about two years. So before we could move to even even talking about seven days a week, we needed a new consultant contract in place. That's now in place. We needed a big expansion in community services because there's no point bringing everybody into the hospitals if the patients can't be discharged back into the community. So we've thousands more people now working in community services. We needed extra resources in place in the emergency departments and we sanctioned, I sanctioned a lot more uh, staff last year and, and more and more of them are being put in place. We needed more hospital beds. We've put a thousand in place. We needed more staff around the system and we've now nearly 21,000 more staff than we had when COVID arrived here. So we've been, we've been building towards this now right through this government, more capacity. And this is one of the big reform measures that says, you know, patients get six, seven days a week. Patients need to be discharged seven days a week. And I talk to healthcare professionals all around the country and the healthcare professionals themselves are backing this call. They know that we have to move away from a system where discharge rates fall very, very low at the weekends because what it leads to is overcrowding, particularly on Mondays and Tuesdays of every week. And we've seen an approach like this work well in some hospitals. Waterford, for example, they roster their staff differently. So Waterford with a smaller complement of consultants, for example, than some other hospitals, actually spread out the time their consultants are in the hospital. Oh, it's that brilliant. It works really well. Will, yeah, will staff, though, will staff work seven days? I, 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 obviously, not going to be working a seven-day week, but will they work a seven-day roster? Well, many already do. So if you go, if, if you, you go into a hospital tonight at 4 a.m., you'll find that there's nurses there, there's healthcare assistants there, and there's junior doctors there. We've the new consultant contract in place. This is a game changer. This moves cons- yeah. moves the consultant role from forty hours roster a week to eighty hours. Now there is a, another group, which is our health and social care professionals, who are absolutely essential to everything that we do. And as Bernard and I have been discussing, we are going to have to look at their contracts. Typically, the community-based workers and some of the hospital-based workers, the health and social care professionals, typically they have been rostered and are contracted Monday to Friday. And that's something we want to look at as part of the upcoming uh, round of pay talks as well. Okay, two other things I want to ask you about, Minister, before we let you go. Um, A report in the Irish Times today by Sean O'Barra's antidepressant prescriptions for children aged 15 and under have increased by more than 130% over the past decade. Their new HSE figures. Uh, Concerns from representatives in the sector who say there's a growing crisis in being able to meet the needs of children and young people seeking help. I don't know if you've had a chance to see that story. How concerned are you about it? I am concerned about it and I'm not surprised to see it. Um, Recently enough, I engaged with our chief medical officer to say I wanted a full review of the prescribing that's going on because the advice I have is that Ireland 
Uh, we have high levels of prescription on antidepressants. We have high levels of prescriptions on anti-anxiety medications. Uh, and we need to understand this very well. I was writing actually earlier this week about some of the causes of these things in terms of um, mobile phone use, particular types of social media use, particular types of internet content that young people are being exposed to. So we've got to do two things. We've got to make sure we have the youth mental health services in place. But we have to tackle this at the source as well. Okay, all right. Um, it, it is obviously a big issue with, with I, I think, that age group. I think they were seriously affected by, by COVID. We, we, we might talk about that another time. But just uh, very finally, can I ask you, just in relation to the opposition bill to abolish the, the three-day waiting period for uh, abortion, passed in the Dáil uh, earlier uh, this week. Now, it doesn't make it legislation, obviously. But I was curious, why did you decide to abstain? You were one of the few government people not to vote against that. You abstained stained on the key vote why did you why did you do that as as minister for health it seems an unusual approach i said uh, as soon as the report was published and i referred it to the health committee that i was going to keep my own views to myself uh, to give the health committee space to consider the report and then to come back to me and come back to government and abstaining was simply a it was simply a manifestation of that uh, i want to respect I'm in a, in a, you know, it's me who will have to bring through any new legislation. Uh, and so I said right at the start, I was going to wait. I was going to respect the process, give the health community but, the space that they need. But Minister, I have to ask you, I mean, this bill doesn't respect that process that, that you are talking about. This bill wants, it, uh, wants to implement these changes now, not to go through that more, uh, that process of bringing things to a committee allowed to be considered by the Joint Committee. It goes against that. So why not vote against something that goes against uh, the process that you have tried to set up? Well, the bill certainly doesn't respect the process, but but I'm going to respect the process. And you're right, Shane, and actually I'd go further. I, I obviously looked at the bill in great detail. The bill goes miles beyond uh, what people voted it, it for. Does. It, 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 it does. It calls for beyond. abortion on request prior to fetal uh, viability. It would be the most liberal abortion regime in Europe if it was introduced. This is it. And I, I made this point to Deputy Smith and to others who were supporting the bill during the second stage debate. I said to them, you know, you're invoking the will of the people. You're invoking repeal. You're invoking the referendum. Well, I, I campaigned very hard for repeal, but your bill does not respect that vote at all because it goes way beyond that vote. And so said, why not vote against it You know, you're, it you're, you're invoking the, the, the report by Marie O'Shea, but your bill goes miles beyond what Marie O'Shea said. It's simply for that reason, Shane. I, I wanted to, I said right at the start, I was going to keep my own views to myself for a relatively short period to allow the health committee to do its thing. I don't want to be in a position where people say, well, I'm, you know, I'm trying to influence the, the discussions in the health committee one way, uh, one way or the other. Okay, we'll leave it there. Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, thank you for talking to News Talk Breakfast. News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR. Weekday mornings at 7 on News Talk.